0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to First State Insights, a podcast presented by the University of Delaware's Institute for Public Administration. We call ourselves IPA for short. My name is Troy Mix. I'm Associate Director at IPA and your host for this episode. Today's episode features a conversation with Gary Johnson. He's the founder and executive director of First Founders Incorporated, a Delaware-based nonprofit that aims to lower barriers to entry and increase the likelihood of success in the innovation ecosystem by creating access to educational programming, relevant networks, and funding opportunities for diverse communities of entrepreneurs. Gary is a repeat guest on the podcast, and he joined for the May 14th, 2021 session of the Innovation in the Public Sector class I co-instruct in the Biden School of Public Policy and Administration. This episode is an excerpt of the discussion that evening. We covered lessons learned about entrepreneurship, the emerging pre, post, and during pandemic story of First Founders, and his thoughts on steps we need to take to build a more equitable innovation ecosystem in Delaware and beyond. Let's get to the conversation. And really glad to have you here, Gary. Thanks for joining us.
1: Of course, of course I'm glad to be here. Definitely excited to talk more,
0: share, I guess, a little bit about first founders and, and myself. You've been really like a student of entrepreneurship, practitioner, and now you're going to, you have been teaching it both through organizations and you're going to be teaching it in classroom settings. And I wonder if you could start us off just kind of talking about some of the big lessons you've learned about succeeding and what really is like a risky world, entrepreneurship.
1: Yeah, for sure. I can definitely, I think, start with, why I am an entrepreneur in the first place, and it definitely puts things into context, first of all, I think entrepreneurship is a lot of different things. It doesn't have to be your traditional like you know full time. I started this thing from scratch. I built it to be you know i'm I'm trying to build a multimillion dollar or billion dollar company that is entrepreneurship can be entrepreneurship, but to me, entrepreneurship is also being innovative and being creative and applying that thinking to you know, existing corporations, nonprofits, and just problem solving in general. I sort of start with my story by sharing that, like, when I was growing up, my mom was the first entrepreneur I ever knew, but she never called herself an entrepreneur um, or even a business owner. So that language wasn't really in my vocabulary. But when I was in middle school, she actually started a property cleanouts business where she essentially hired myself and my two siblings as her first employees. And every single Saturday, we would rent a U-Haul truck and drive around to various properties and clean them up. So like first thing in the morning, every Saturday, 6 a.m., sometimes it was probably earlier than that. We'd be riding around Chester, Pennsylvania, Philly, and some parts of New Jersey, getting these properties ready to be to be sold. It was a really great experience, even though it was a lot of hard work. I apologize. My dog, you can probably hear him with his toy in the background. (laughs) I'm going to snag it from him and he's going to be upset. Yeah. So it it taught me a lot of great lessons, which was just like, if you want to be an entrepreneur, right, you have to be committed to your craft, right? Like you have to, to wake up and make the donuts, right? Whatever your donuts are. Like I said, entrepreneurship wasn't in my vernacular, but My mom was like the first person that really showed me that it takes a lot of hard work to do this, but it was something that she was doing to make a better life for her family, right? Like she was really doing that for us. And I didn't really come to understand that until I got to college. And at UD, I was actually an exercise science major. Thought I wanted to be a physical therapist. I wanted to help people, but I quickly realized that I was not passionate at all about physical therapy, but I did have a big passion for making the world a better place. And I sort of came to realize that through entrepreneurship you can do that in a lot of different ways. I ended up picking up a minor in entrepreneurial studies, spent a whole lot of more time focused on my minor and participating in all the great programs and resources that UD had to offer, as opposed to like <laughs> focusing on my major. And I think just just through entrepreneurship, being creative, identifying problems, like falling in love with the problem, and realizing that like we all have the potential Um, to be able to make a difference in this world by putting our our creative minds to use, that just meant everything to me. So I worked on a couple of startup ideas, did pitch competitions, took advantage of the awesome space uh, at the venture development center down Delaware Ave. Just took it upon myself to just learn as much as possible. And I honestly wasn't focused so much on the business side of things as like, like traditional business, like accounting and finance but was more focused on value creation, problem identification, and just understanding from people like what their biggest challenges are. I ended up, of course, deciding not to go to grad school for PT. And I did get accepted into um, a master's program in entrepreneurship and design, which was a a one-year program, which was amazing because it gave me the opportunity to focus on being a founder and understand like what that meant but i also got to travel across the country and learn from various startup ecosystems about what it really takes to build an innovation ecosystem locally what i sort of discovered was you know when you look at things through an equity lens and diversity and diversity and inclusion there are a lot of business owners entrepreneurs startup founders that are not getting the access to resources that they need to succeed but our society our economies are much better off when everybody does have those those tools and resources so When we empower people to be in a position to create value, whether it's being a small business owner with a donut shop, or if it's empowering that, you know, aspiring tech startup founder who wants to, you know, build some huge social platform, both of those things have their own places in our economies and are extremely necessary. It's especially necessary to make sure that everybody in our ecosystem, regardless of what they look like, where they come from, they have access to these opportunities to be able to do these sorts of things, because our families will be better off, our communities will be better off, and I think the world will be better off as well. So I ended up starting First Founders to make sure that every entrepreneur, if they're interested in launching a startup, they have access to a community that's supportive. They have access to resources, non-diluted funding, connections (laughs) to help them succeed. And uh, yeah, it's been a journey being a founder myself, and I can definitely share more about that as well.
0: I guess a little more on first founders in terms of like the problems in this region that you saw for the folks that you're trying to serve. And then if you could tell us a little bit about like what the initial elements of first founders looked like.
1: So I sort of surveyed the local ecosystem as well as the the national ecosystem. And when I traveled to other places like New York or Miami or San Francisco, all these places have really robust ecosystems where if you're a startup founder, if you're interested in startups in general and innovation, there's just a lot of activity. There's a lot of like concentrated resources and just energy put into that space to making sure that people have the things that they need to be able to launch a new venture, scale a new venture, exit a venture, all that kind of stuff. And it was I got really excited. Like I'm learning from all these really awesome places. I'm hearing stories of startup founders that are building these Multi-million dollar companies from scratch and um then looked at Delaware and was like, you know, like why don't we have things like that? So I literally interviewed everyone from small business owners, tech startup founders, resource providers, economic developers, and just realized like everybody is engaged in this ecosystem and is a part of it in some way. Um, and I ended up going to the county, Newcastle County government. And at the time awesome woman was running economic development. She actually gave me the idea. Like I interviewed her and in the interview, I uncovered that like an accelerator was something we needed in the, in the community. And I sort of came back with a pitch and said, you know, here's an accelerator we could do. We could call it the first Rounders accelerator. It's going to support early stage underrepresented entrepreneurs in our community because we know people are here. We know they have ideas, We know, they have potential but there's no infrastructure to support them, to develop them and invest in them. So she gave me a yes. (laughs) The county wrote us a check and we launched a a pilot program where we took eight uh, Newcastle County entrepreneurs through a 12 week program that I had designed from scratch, taking best practices from other programs around the country, as well as just like I had gone through programs myself. So I had some insight into what helped me and what things didn't help me and things that just I thought needed to be included that I didn't see elsewhere. And that's literally how we got started. So successfully graduated those eight founders. And that was amazing. It sort of concluded with a big demo day at the end uh, where we showcased all the founders and their growth throughout the program. That really showed the community like, wow, like people are right here with these amazing ideas. And just imagine if we gave them the resources, right? And made sure that they had access to these tools to be able to, to turn these ideas into businesses that create value for the economy. Fast forwarding a little, a little bit. We've ended up doing at this point. We've had three cohorts. So the first one had eight founders just in Newcastle County. Second cohort had thirty founders, and they actually we had participants across the country. And one was in Kenya while she was participating. Um, and then the third cohort we did last fall actually had one hundred and twenty founders from all around the world, and that was absolutely amazing to see the the community like scale up that fast. But it just prove the fact that like, yes, Delaware has this problem of lack of support for for founders in general, but especially underrepresented and underestimated founders. But then this is a, a similar theme and similar problem in communities all around the world. So First Founders has sort of become like this place and community where where founders can feel like they belong, feel like they have a place where other people understand what they're going through, um, because a lot of them are at the earliest stages and oftentimes are told they're too early to benefit from the resources that are out there, whether they're in Delaware or anywhere else. We're just aiming to create that platform where, you know, you're never too early for one. And then we're able to give you the resources that you need to be able to benefit from more robust programming that might
0: exist in other communities. So I knew that you kind of pivoted and you had like an international cohort the second year. How did you, I mean, it's great. You made the leap to 120, but like what happened in the intervening year or six months or however long it was to grow it that much?
1: Honestly, my initial vision was always for a an accessible virtual platform because I already knew that these founders existed in communities all around the world, at least all around the country. But we had to start somewhere. And in economic development, of course, if you're working with the county, right, they want to invest in the county. So, when it came to that and and not having any traction prior to we had to launch a pilot, so we were given a little bit of funding, had to make the most of that little bit of funding, but we were able to support eight founders with that, and they had to be in Newcastle county. so that's why I started small. If we could have you know launched with like a national thing, I absolutely would have. But we started small, and that was great, and then, with our second cohort, scaled up just a little bit, and then honestly, I think. That third cohort that had the huge jump um, to over 100 founders, that was during the pandemic. Is during a time where a lot of other opportunities were just not happening. A lot of spaces where people would go in their local communities to hang out with other founders, at say like co-working spaces or at their universities or wherever, they're just not able to do that, right? So I think there was just a big demand for like founders having community, being able to go to a place where not only could they share what they're going through, but they could share what their goals are and be held accountable to their goals, which was the focus of that third cohort. There's just so many founders out there who just don't have a place to go. They don't have a community. So the reality is like, it's super easy to do. Like anybody can start their own startup community. You don't have to be innovative (laughs) to do it. But since we've just engaged with so many founders, probably well over a thousand at this point, I think we just understand the messaging, you know, understand what resonates with founders. Like, like we believe in their ideas, right? Just the fact of like, hey, inclusive community, like that's not something that is always promoted. Um, There are a bunch of startup communities, as I already mentioned, but that doesn't mean they're all inclusive. It doesn't mean they're all equitable. It doesn't mean they all make people feel like they belong. So we take a lot of pride in just creating that sort of atmosphere. And it's pretty cool that we're able to do that like virtually. Not like saying it out loud is like super is just interesting to me. Uh, cause you would think you need to be like in person with people, which of course, like in person is the best. Um, but to be able to build really authentic relationships online just goes a really long way.
0: And so to get to one twenty, I mean it sounds like it was partly pandemic related, like you were an outlet for people to connect. Backslide sounds unnecessarily negative, but is there going to be like a backslide in terms of numbers for the fourth cohort? Or what, what do you think when we get back to more normal public health situations, like the mix of in-person virtual will be?
1: Yeah. Our second cohort, actually it had launched February, 2020. That second cohort that we had, where we had 30 founders nationally and one internationally was actually a hybrid model. So we were using the Route 9 Innovation Library as like in-person class. We would have Saturday education sessions. Um, but anybody who was not in Delaware or not sort of in greater Philly couldn't couldn't come to the library. We had the Zoom session on. So we were already Zooming, you know, making it super inclusive. And um, honestly, a lot of the mentors that we invite to come in and speak to the cohorts, most of them are outside of Delaware anyway. So we were operating with a hybrid model anyway, so that you know, like we had investors from Samsung next, which is like Samsung's investment arm uh, They're in San Francisco. So they would zoom in and talk to the cohort. So a lot of that stuff would just have to be virtual as the world opens back up. We're definitely going to do things. We're going to continue to be hybrid. If I had to pick one, like I would just do all virtual as opposed to, I definitely wouldn't do all in person. There's definitely value in just doing things that are local, but The really cool thing about making it hybrid and sort of growing the community in that way is, you know, you have Delaware founders who are able to talk to, you know, San Francisco based founders, uh, Washington based founders, uh, Morocco based founders, you know, and just learn from them, hear from them, understand like what they're building, why they're building it and see that we're really all like so similar. And then they all just learn from one another. So uh, I think that's really the greatest part of the community. So, yeah, as the world opens back up, we're going to do hybrid eventually. We are also just super experimental. So every cohort has been very very different from the last. The first one was industry agnostic, any type of startup that was interested in, you know, building a scalable business. The second cohort we did was focused on fintech and financial health. Third cohort again was Industry agnostic and not focused on necessarily a curriculum, but more focused on goal setting and accountability and helping founders gain traction. So, I don't see us continuing to like try to grow the number in the cohort. Smaller numbers are better. So, like, I'd say like 10 startups is like a perfect amount for a cohort, just so people can get to know each other. They all get the support that they need. But since our community is so big now, we're able to segment it and say, Okay, we've got 30 fintech related startups, so we can do tailored programming for that portion of the community. And then we've also got 30 uh, beauty tech startups, so we can design curriculum and resources around supporting that segment of the community. So part of our strategy is next month, (laughs) actually, we're going to be launching our next cohort, which we'll call our community accelerator, which literally will just be a rolling program where every single Wednesday night, from 7 to 9 PM. Founders can jump in. It's super inclusive. Everybody's welcome. And we'll have experts speaking on a wide variety of topics, followed by just a community session where founders are are able to, my dog is finding like all the squeaky toys. I thought I took them all. Um, Founders are able to share what they're working on. Like I said, talk about problems um, and just get help from one another. And then outside of that programming, we'll be able to say, again, you know, do like the FinTech specific programming, the beauty specific programming, and all that kind of other good stuff.
0: so you're trying to address equity and entrepreneurship through the organization directly. And I know I guess it was the last year about this time that you wrote an article kind of putting the business community on notice in Delaware about needs to do, you know, need to do better uh, on equity. And you had an update to that just a month or two ago that we've kind of scratched the surface is how I would describe it, but we're not. There yet, and we got a lot more work to do. And this is another big question to end here. But what has been like the relatively easy, like low hurdles in terms of making progress, and what do you see as kind of the harder things to get by and make progress on as you've tried to really take this head on, equity and the business community?
1: I think there are a lot of things that we can do that are easy to do they're not they're only hard because we we make them difficult um, when you talk about you know race you know people get all tight and like <laughs> they don't want to talk about it I'm like a startup and innovation activist is sort of like how one of my friends just pointed it out to me just yesterday actually so one of the things is just helping people see what they've been ignoring which is Hey, we're promoting Delaware. We're saying it's a great place to live, work, and play, start a business, all that kind of stuff. Okay. Like, let's look at the Delaware success stories. And if we're talking FinTech specifically, right? Like we always promote, there's several big FinTechs we have in Delaware. And I'll say, well, okay, like look at the founders, look at the teams, look at the board of advisors at these companies, right? Like, do they represent our community, right? If we have these businesses based in Wilmington, do these businesses represent the community of Wilmington demographics wise? And more times than not, it's not even close. For example, when I see these success stories and I see how they're promoted, I don't see myself represented. So I say, you know, if I wasn't already in this startup space, I would not think that startups were for me. I wouldn't think innovation is for me. I wouldn't think I can build a successful business because everybody else who's being you know, put in the spotlight and things like that. They look nothing like me. They don't relate to my story and all this kind of stuff. So it's easy to point that out. You know, a lack of investment is a huge issue. And it's easy to fix that, right? It's like simple, simple uh, solution. If the majority of funding is going to white male founders, let's give more funding to underrepresented founders. Like that isn't a huge challenge. But since it's race related, that's when things get a little bit weird for people. The more, I think, difficult things to do for Delaware specifically, I think it is in attracting it. So we're trying to build this startup ecosystem, right? Like our ecosystem is nascent and growing. There aren't a lot of resources for early stage entrepreneurs. There's like no venture capital. And there, there's not a, lot of, a whole lot of programming outside of universities. So it's easy to create sort of programming that just attracts people and makes them feel included in the ecosystem. But when it comes to like attracting investors, that's like a longer thing. And like building a culture takes longer to do, but it's definitely something we have to do to make sure that, you know, for example, if, uh, if we wanted to build the community of angel investors, which are just wealthy people who invest in startups, that's a culture that has to be built over time and they need to see these are individuals that need to be shown examples of hey you could invest your money into one of these startups you know it's a local startup maybe they're ud alum whatever you feel proud about that and the the potential you know payoffs and outcomes down the road can be really substantial Um, so those are some things that that take longer but when it comes to like identifying the problem and just very like low-hanging fruit is like looking at the data and seeing hey like People are underrepresented in these ecosystems. They're underfunded. There aren't any programs that are specifically supporting these underrepresented groups. Like Those are all
0: things we can do immediately. Thank you, Gary. Thank you for having me. This episode was presented as part of the ongoing Delaware Founders Stories series, a collection of conversations focused on the journeys of underrepresented and underestimated entrepreneurs. To learn more about the work of Gary and the first founders team, visit firstfounders.org. For more information on the Institute for Public Administration, visit ipa.udel.edu. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of First State Insights. Reach out with comments and subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. I hope you'll join us again soon.